just got finished watching Blair Witch, so let's do our uh, Witches podcast for November. November. Ian, it's, uh, it's nearly February. W- what? That can't be. Yeah, it's my birthday this week. My 85th birthday. Really? Nah, dude, I have a cold. I'm just fucking with you. We're like babes in the wild. Gordos <laughs> <laughs> in the landscape of the mind. It's gonna be so subversive. They're gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cactus. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Hey, little nep it is. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. (laughs) Wackadoo. Hello everyone. This is a matter of taste. I'm Ian. I'm here with Fio. Hello. And we are here to, after quite a bit of a, a pause, which was not intentional, uh, we apologize for that, but we are back to discuss the uh, the works of Adam Wingard. Yeah, there's, um, I guess there's just a confluence of events we ran into where we had, like, guest issues and then, well, scheduling issues with yeah. somebody we wanted as a guest, and then, like... You, like, everybody got busy, because you were dropping your album. Yeah. Like, things get busy, and then when we were running to record, I had a death in the family, and it was like, oh, well, now we can't fucking do it. And now I am dying. But <laughs> I have my mint and honey tea, and I'm gonna motherfucking eye-roam my way through this. Alright. Because so, I want to get this done. It's yes. part of my bucket list over here. Record one last time. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's actually not even that bad. We were just out at the bar on Saturday, and I busted my fucking voice like an idiot. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm just getting the tangents out early. Yes. Uh, so yes, the works of Adam Wingard. Uh, we're focusing on your next, the guest, and Blair Witch, and uh, you know, maybe we can take a little detour over to the VHS films if we when we get around to Blair Witch, just when we're talking about fan footage stuff. Yeah. There was also the holidays in there, so that also made it difficult to. Uh... Put a podcast recording together. Yeah, no, because the holidays are always a mess. Yeah, but anyway, Adam Wingard. I think we we struggled through it previously through sheer love of Hannibal, but yes, <laughs> it's been a demoralizing year, and it's only January thirtieth. So, <laughs> so let's talk about horror movies. <laughs> let's talk about your next. Speaking of some demoralizing shit. Yeah. Was, the earliest of the films that we're discussing. And <laughs> this was the one that, like, when we tried to record previously, I was like, oh, no, you got to watch it yeah. like, before we talk about this. Originally, for whatever reason, I thought we were going to be talking about The Guest and uh, uh, It Follows, it follows. because yeah. they both have the same lead actress and they both have a sort of 80s-inspired soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, and we should definitely hit up It Follows at some point. Yeah. Because that is a killer film. But yeah, you want you in particular wanted to talk about your next. So what was it that uh, that made you want to talk about this one? 
Your Next is the only home invasion movie I actually like, so <laughs> I wanted to. Well, no, okay, that's not that's not fair. Um, I generally find the home invasion genre kind of distasteful. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I think there's there's some interesting um, arguments to be had there, um, and I can respect shit like what Funny Games is trying to do since it's a deconstruction of the genre. But still, that's like an ordeal, and it's not something you can sit through. Mm-hmm. Like I think Your Next is genuinely just like uh, it's it's dark and bleak, but it's still a fucking romp of a film, and I uh, I really quite enjoy it. Um, it's funny because it really straddles the line of, okay, this is a serious horror movie, and also we're just going to be absurd as fuck. Yeah, there was one thing I noticed, because um, Your Next has kind of like, a, it's it's a contentious film in terms of reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like 70 on Rotten Tomatoes, 70, 75, something like that. But the positive reviews are generally very positive, and the negative ones are generally very negative. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of the negative ones are like this. This movie needed like more levity. Um, they're talking about like the cast is you know largely unsympathetic, and it's like number one, that's well, okay. Number two, that's the point. Yeah. And number one, this movie's fucking hysterical. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's it's a very dark sense of humor, and when 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 that sort of starts showing more, that's when I started to be like. Okay, I think I can get on board with this. I do think it's a difficult movie to kind of grapple with. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, and myself included the first time I saw it, um, that this is one of the film's flaws. I don't think it's very good at teaching you its vocabulary before it gets into shit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think, and I, I don't, there are some films that do that on purpose that are purposefully obfuscating, um, for them to resonate with a certain theme or something like that. I, I don't think that's what this film is trying to do. I think that is an actual flaw in the, uh, in the film that it doesn't, it, it's not very good about teaching the audience how to deal with it before it gets going. Yeah. Uh, Cause it gets going like at a pretty brisk pace. Yeah. And it starts off fairly straight paced. Oh yeah. Um, like it, it feels, and in, in that sense, it, it it does do a good job of setting the whole family drama up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's not just like, okay, we're being thrown into a situation where it starts right off the bat with the home invasion and we barely even have a chance to learn who these people are. Um, and this is, this is the other thing for me, at least. I, I, uh, there's a motorcycle outside. I don't know. <laughs> Um, for once the noise isn't coming in through my window. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh, quiet you. Anyway, um, the, uh, I I haven't, I don't know if I've actually seen that many home invasion movies and I don't know if they're the sort of thing I, I ever really sought out because they're the sort of thing where I watch, I watch a trailer and I'm like, this just doesn't seem like my sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it usually just ends up with people being either tortured or brutalized or just dying horribly. And it's either so over the top where I'm just like, come on, guys. Or it's so brutal that I'm just like, I I am not really enjoying watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
This one, because they they set up the characters fairly solidly at the beginning, and because specifically you have someone you can root for, like, I actually care about uh, the main character. I can't, I, it's been a few weeks since I watched the movies, so I can't remember her name. Aaron. Aaron. I actually, well, I'm like, you know, I like her as a person. And the fact that she's a, like, she's got like the survivalist background actually is like, yeah, hell yeah. Dude, you, you've got this figured out. <laughs> she's someone that you like, it, there was a, early on, I wondered if there was going to be some sort of twist where she actually turned out to be the one who, uh, like plotted the whole thing. But the more that she clearly was trying to help everyone survive, the more I was like, okay, I can get behind this person. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of like a completely, uh, not grounded, but, um, <clears throat> like a non, a non sci-fi or fantasy version of the whole, uh, trope reversal that, uh, Joss Whedon wanted to explore with Buffy. Mm-hmm. Where it's like the, the victim sort of turning out to be the person that the monsters needed to fear. Yeah. Where it's like, oh no, she's a survivalist and is like fucking lethally home aloneing this house for you guys. Yes. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, like, you brought up the word grounded, which, uh, like, I understand why your hesitation was there, but that honestly was one of the things. Like the first things I thought about the movie once I had finished watching it was again that whole straddling the line between being over the top and being realistic. Uh, I felt like for the most part it stayed fairly grounded, and yes, there are some there are some moments of serious gore, but it wasn't like they came out completely out of nowhere. There was a progression over the film of how how. Uh, how brutal the deaths were going to be until finally at the end you get friggin' uh, blender to the head. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was going to mention that, and then I was trying to remember what kind of appliance it was because it's been like two or three weeks since I watched it. Yeah. Because I watched it before we tried to record this previously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was like, is, was it? What was it? Was it like a food processor? Uh, you're right. It was a blender with the with like the thing cracked off. Yeah, and I think also it. it it was also very well shot. I think the cinematography had a lot to do with grounding the movie. It wasn't like like that that fight scene at the end. You it isn't like they're just doing a whole bunch of like cuts and close ups and stuff where you're like in some movies, action movies and horror movies alike, when they're doing an action scene, they're just like, oh, we're gonna make it look all crazy and uh, fucked yeah, up, and you're not really sure what's going on, which just I I, I have no time for. I have no patience yeah. for. There's like 30 quick cuts to every fucking yeah. movement, and it's like, could the camera just like chill, man? <laughs> so like, none of us are getting any younger here. Mm-hmm. Just just hang out, man. <laughs> um, and that that's something that I I think I I would give. Adam Wingard as a uh, as a director, I think he has a. It, it's I would be interested to see how much of a hand, how much, like. I'm thinking particularly now of Blair Witch, where it's so much that found footage stuff. How much of like the framing of shots and cinematography can actually be attributed to the director and the cinematographer, and how much of it is due to the actors actually being having the camera having all the cameras. Um, but we'll we'll get to that later. But uh, I think I like judging from these three movies, I, I feel like he's a solid director. Yeah, I think he has a he has a very strong style. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, I, I find him pretty consistently good in everything he does. So I was excited to talk about, you know, <laughs> I, I said something there, but I don't think the mic picked it up. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> the, the films that he's done recently with uh, Blair Witch providing the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do, I do get concerned about, uh, I get, I do get slightly concerned about his, I, I don't want to say love of gore, because that, that I feel like is an overstatement. But, uh, I, I was actually just listening to Anglophies the other day, and they were talking about how he's actually going to be directing the Death Note movie. Um, hmm. and, uh, one of the first things I guess he, he said in an interview or something was like, yeah, we're going to be able to make it so much more brutal than the anime was. And the Anglophie, uh, Podcasters or podcast buddies, they 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 were not so hot on that, which I, yeah. is understandable. Um, but I think yeah. he does exhibit restraint uh, in a lot of ways. Like like I said, with with your next, it's it's not like just right off the bat we've got beheadings and stuff. Right, and it's right. not like, and it, again, it's it's shot in a way where it's not like it's silly and over the top. Um, I think when it comes to your next, yeah, I, I liked your next, uh, it, it was tough watching your next and Blair Witch because since I was watching them for the podcast, I sort of went in with my analytical brain just like on from the very beginning. But mm-hmm. because of that, I, I appreciated it a lot more when the movie surprised me. Right, right. Um, and when there were moments, <laughs> I don't know if this is a moment I should appreciate, but the moment I texted you about. Oh, yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> Dude, and the, uh, <laughs> so I, I texted Theo uh, while I was watching this movie. There, there's a scene in the movie where uh, after he, it's sort of been revealed that, oh, it's the one dude who uh, hired these people to kill the rest of his family. Uh, and so he and his girlfriend are about to, they're, they're sitting in the room with his mother's dead body. He's sitting on the bed next to his mother's dead body and (coughs) his girlfriend just comes over to him and is like, let's just, let's do it. Let's fuck on the bed where your mother's dead. And I'm just like, wow, they went, they, okay. (laughs) They, uh, they went there. Yeah, the actual line is, fuck me next to your mother's dead body, then. Yeah. And so I texted that to Theo, and I was just like, holy crap, this movie. And then he texted back, uh, do you want to tell it, or do you want me to tell it? or?" Yeah, well, he texted me that, and I had just gotten off the phone with my mom, so like, I still had the phone in my hand, and it like buzzes, and I'm like, oh, what? And then that just pops up on the screen, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> But so, I remember that you were rewatch, like you were going back to watch it. For the play. I was like, "Oh, shit! That timing was really weird." Yeah, that was incredibly poor timing. I apologize. <laughs> you apologizing for it? It's the whims of the universe. <laughs> um, and like the uh, the winds of March. That 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 was another <laughs> that was another scene where it's like I felt like they they towed the line of just being completely bizarre. I, I'm sure that there are other people who would be like, no, dude, that's no one says that. What the fuck? But 
there was something about it. I don't know if it's the actors or the the context or what, but it like I was like, you know what? This knowing what's happened up to up until this point and knowing what we do about these characters, I believe this. <coughs> it didn't feel like a disingenuous moment just done for shock value. Although yeah. it was definitely done for shock value. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Um, but no, I feel like up until that point in the film, it's kept its... Like, that moment keeps its pinky toe just barely enough <laughs> in the real world that it manages to hold on. And that... Dude, that line slew me the yeah. first time I heard it. I was like crying. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the thing that makes it work is the fact that they don't actually do it. Oh yeah, yeah. I think if they did, then it would be like, well, then it's like gratuitous shock value. Yeah, yeah. then it's gratuitous shock value and also gratuitous gratuitous sex scene. Right. <clears throat> but yeah. I find your next interesting because I think um, a lot of like home invasion films. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of home invasion films uh, have a lot in common uh, philosophically with uh, Japanese horror. Really? Not not in like a not in a. Um, Not in a even thematic way, but just in terms of moral philosophy. Um, they, I think, a lot of home invasion films have more in common with Japanese horror than American horror. Um, not your next, uh, but I think um, <clears throat> that a lot of home invasion films uh, follow that Japanese. Uh, well, I, I'm sure there are other films that have this this idea behind them, but in a lot of American films, a, or a, a number of American horror films, uh, the people who are being killed and targeted are in some way transgressors. Hmm. Um, so they've done something wrong, and they're being punished for it. Because um, I guess the Americans are masochists. But and in uh, in a lot of Japanese films, it's it, it's more like innocents who are punished. There's no there's no reason for what's happening. It's uh, just sometimes horrible things happen to good people, um, which seems like a healthier mindset. It's like sometimes that shit happens. But I feel like a lot of home invasion films have this danger of feeling almost pornographic yeah. because they still have that like very uh, American like guts and gore style. Yeah. They like the reason that a lot of these Japanese films work. I know I'm talking like in very awful generalities, but I, I'm really having trouble keying on specifics here. Dude. My head, my head <laughs> is like a float in an ocean. But uh, so in in a lot of these like Japanese ghost films, like the original like Ringu and Juan, um, there's this this weight of tragedy on everything that happens. So. It's like the tragedy goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Like you understand that this ghost that's tormenting these innocents was at one point an innocent who was tormented by tragedy. So it feels like all of this grief is this grand wheel. It, it feels fuller. Whereas in home invasion films, it's like, oh, it's this fucker in a mask and who knows what's going on with them. 
You know, it's like this faceless evil that's coming in to stab you. And that's terrifying. I mean, the, the notion of the masked man is terrifying, mm-hmm. but it's still, it feels like gratuitous. And well, and it, uh, like, that's, that's how I felt about The Strangers, which I think a lot of people like, but I just left a very poor taste in my mouth. Yeah, I never saw The Strangers. That was the only Lip <laughs> Tyler, right? Yes. And, uh, I think Glenn Howerton shows up in that. <laughs> I think it's also, I think you're right to make the distinction between Western and Japanese horror there, because I think it's something that's common to not just home invasion films, but like I think we've talked about before on the podcast with Western horror movies, this uh, reliance uh, sometimes on, oh, the unknown is scary, so let's just keep leave the audience completely in the dark about everything, um, because that's scary. And there are situations where that is very scary, but like you said, that there's it's it it can lack emotional depth. Then, yeah, that's that's what I was going for in that long-winded explanation. <laughs> Thank you for condensing that for me. It's usually the other way around. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Got to give back sometime. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of. I think a lot of um, home invasion movies make their, uh, like, wring their tension out of the audience just sitting here like, oh, how am I going to watch these nice people get butchered? Like, yeah. and it, I think Funny Games does an excellent job at deconstructing it. Uh, I think, like, uh, but that's, it's just, God, that's such a hard movie to sit through, man. <laughs> I've never seen it, and I did. I did kind of want to see it because I heard how it was a deconstruction. But it's a very, it's a, it's an interesting film. <laughs> yeah, I just but haven't yeah, seen it. It is, it's bleak. Uh, but in your next, like, I find it more enjoyable because, like, man, fuck these people, like, <laughs> like fuck everybody. They all, they're well, terrible. They, they set up that one brother at the beginning where it's just like. Oh my gosh, I can't, like, and it, 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 it's, this is another issue that I personally, and I know this is more of a personal thing than a, like a, an objective judgment type thing, but like, uh, it, it was something that came to mind when I was watching like Blair Witch is like this, this mentality in a lot of horror movies of just like, we want to pull off all this really disturbing gory stuff so we'll we'll make we'll make the characters just terrible people so you'll enjoy watching it but again that sort of that toes the line of being pornographic like you were saying of just like well i mean yeah i wanted that dude to 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 get to get get his i guess but what does that say about me as a person it's sort of like the whole the whole thing of schadenfreude Mm-hmm. How much of it is like uh, it's it's a concept that I I'm not going to delve in too deeply just because I haven't really figured out what my real feelings or thoughts are about it. But it is something that I, I'm uncomfortable with in a lot of situations, um, which, again, I think that's one of the one of like your next actually subverts that because the moment where the really like terrible brother dies is actually in in some ways like at, at that point it's almost like a poignant thing because like he's got this look on his face where he's just like he had no clue what was coming yeah yeah I could see that uh, yeah, I just think it's 
it's more emotionally complicated. Yeah. Than uh, I think a number of uh, other home invasion flicks are. Um. Well, and they also they also at, by the end of the movie, really no stone is left unturned. Uh, it, it feels like a complete story, and whereas I think, again, with a lot of Western horror filmmakers, they want to leave tons of mysteries and stuff. With this one, you basically understand the entire story by the end of it. You do get sort of an info dump at the end with uh, with the brother, or the brother, but uh, I, I I appreciated that because at the end, it's like as the brother is telling the whole thing, I'm wondering, I'm I'm, I'm genuinely wondering, what's she gonna do? Uh, and where, where do they go from here? It felt like they explored that concept to essentially its, the, it, the, its logical end. And they even got the little, the, the little, uh, the little tag at the end with the axe over the door. Which was like just that last moment, which I think that moment, that was where it just stepped right over that line into the absurdity. But since it was the, the very end of the movie, I was like, okay. You get that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a good, it was a great way to end the movie. <laughs> yeah. They, it's earned that moment at mm-hmm. least. It's not on the 10 Cloverfield lane moment. No. Where it's earned 20 minutes of another movie, but, <laughs> but it's earned that note. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of if there's anything else I want to talk about with your next. Um, Well, like early on in that movie, there that it was. I, I think I found this with both Your Next and Blair Witch. Like the first act and a half, I because I went in with that sort of hyperanalytical mind. I'm trying to see, like, okay, what's the twist going to be, whatever. Even though I don't want to approach the movie that way, that's just my brain's already on. Uh, it makes the first act and a half of those two movies a little bit tiresome for me. But I like I understand why they have to do certain things. Like like when they're setting up the the sister who's like, I'm gonna run out and I'm gonna I'm just gonna run and I'm gonna get help. I'm like, you're not gonna make it outside that door. It's like no one watching this in the movie theater thinks you're going to make it outside that door. So just let's get like they do a slow mo and it's like let's get on with it. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, it, it's those certain things where it's like I, you sort of have to go through those motions in order to get to the, the for lack of a better, better term, the juicy stuff. <laughs> I don't know. That might just be me. No, no. I, I see where you're coming from. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about with your next? Uh, no, I think I think we've covered it. Um, I do think out of all of the sort of downer endings... That we've uh, we've seen so far from Adam Wingard, uh, your next might be the least downer ending. Yeah, that might be true. <clears throat> I'm trying to remember the end of the guest now. Uh, the guest has um, that reveal. Oh, they do. Yeah, there is that reveal. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so let's talk about the guest now. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about the guest. Um, so this was actually the first one of these that I watched. We were actually, a while ago, a listener recommended to us uh, the guest. 
uh, listener named Kate. Thank you, Kate, for recommending that. <laughs> like, um, like an ages ago. It was ages ago. It, it, I'm looking at the email. It was September. <laughs> yeah, okay. It was as um, long as I thought, so. Yeah. There's that. But yeah, she she recommended the guest, and uh, one night when I had literally nothing going on, I just was like, I'm going to find something on Netflix to watch, and I remember that, and the guest was actually on Netflix, which I'm not sure if it still is. It might be. Um, uh, I believe so. I think it was it was on the last time I checked. Hmm. <coughs> but I'm sorry, continue. Uh, I I really enjoyed the guest. Uh and it, it's it it's a very different movie than your next in uh, in a lot of good ways. Um, I also <laughs> just I will I will uh, issue a, uh, a a disclaimer at the beginning of this, I guess, because uh, I'll, I'll 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 tell you what my first text to Theo was watching this movie, and that'll show you how that might jade my viewing of the movie. I believe. <laughs> While I was watching this movie, like, within the first 10 or 15 minute, minutes, I just texted Theo, and I was like, so I'm watching The Guest, and I, I think I said something else in the text, but I can't remember. I don't want to, like, try and search back for it now, because it was a few months ago, but whatever it was, I followed it up with, also, Dan Stevens has the most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> he is a a, uh, a very attractive man. And so that I will admit that that may have jaded my uh, my viewing of the movie, but I also think he was very good in it. Um, I it was funny because like in the first like I, I know I mentioned in the other two movies I was sort of like losing my patience with the first act and a half of them, but with this one uh, I still was trying to figure stuff out. But the there there was enough to like about the characters. Where I wasn't just like, oh, just get on it with it. Uh, and I also, I almost tweeted something out when I, when I was watching it where I thought I had figured things out. And, uh, I'm glad I didn't because I totally had it wrong and I'm glad I was wrong. But it, I think it was during the, the party scene early on where they, they had a, a few good sort of like, gotcha moments where it's like, oh, suddenly he's serious, and it's like, nah, I'm just fucking with you. Um, but I think that there's a moment where he, like, shows off his strength, or he, like, catches something really quickly. It's it's one of those sort of, like, telltale, ooh, heightened reflexes or something. Mm-hmm. Or tech thing or something. And uh, my brain immediately was like, oh, crap, is this a werewolf movie? Please let it be a werewolf movie! Is Dan Stevens a werewolf in this movie? <laughs> Which, it would have been a really cool werewolf movie, but it also is a good movie without it being a werewolf movie. You sound so dejected. <laughs> I guess it was an okay movie, or like being a werewolf movie. I just really want a good werewolf movie, man. And the, the thing that would have, like, floored me about it is the fact that none of the trailers let anything on about it being a poten- potentially... Like, if it had actually been a werewolf movie and the trailers had let nothing on about it being a werewolf movie, then I would have just been like, yes, that is the way you market a movie. Yeah. Yeah, what, what did you think of The Guest? I really enjoyed The Guest when I uh, first saw it. Uh, I think I rewatched it maybe two weeks ago for the podcast. I will say, I think from both a storytelling and a directorial standpoint, I think The Guest is 
probably well it's a better film than your next i'd probably say it, if i take a look at the rest of his the rest of his credits his filmography it might be the best movie he's done uh wingard um yeah i really enjoyed the guest i i like watching your next better oh. just because i think it's kind of my kind of flick um I find it funny that uh, the guest has this kind of like 80s vibe going for it. Yeah. When it's like explicitly set in the modern day. Yeah. Like it's very explicitly in the modern day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just really dig that actually. Like yeah. um, any sort of time juxtaposition uh, like that is kind of my jam. Um on a completely tangential note, I really love that about the uh, series of unfortunate events Netflix adaptation. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that it's like, what? When does this take place again? <laughs> <laughs> well, that like just quick tangent. That uh, it feels like it's going like deliberately for like an almost like Batman esque anachronistic, like ambiguous time period type thing. Now, oh, yeah. in the, that it takes place in the same universe as Batman, but in the same way that they're trying to obscure the actual time that it takes place in. I'm pretty sure it takes place in the same universe as the life aquatic with Steve Zissou. <laughs> I'm, I'm like 90% sure of that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's something that they carried over from the books as well. Cause yeah. somebody, I think it was only TV tropes or something. Somebody pointed out that, um, handler has like a passage where the train goes by like a computer repair shop and the local blacksmith, it's like, have fun figuring out what time period those two things coexisted in. Um, <laughs> but we digress. Um, yeah, I, I think The Guest is a tighter film. Um, yeah, and they, again, the, the, like, the cinematography and the, the directing choices... Like, especially like the fact that I was, I was so convinced in that one moment that it was a werewolf movie because there were certain things that like, I felt like were the signs of a werewolf story. Um, but as, as, even though I was disappointed when it wasn't a werewolf story, the, the actual explanation I felt like was not a dis, dissatisfactory or unsatisfactory explanation. I, I, I was it like, I'm trying to say, make a particular point about the fact that the way that the first act of this movie is set up, they do a very good job of keeping you guessing as to what type of movie it could be. You're not sure if it's a supernatural movie. You're not sure if it's a sci-fi movie. You're not sure if it's just like a realistic drama or whatever. It, 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 they do, I felt like they did a, a good job of it, of keeping it, of like giving you hints at what is happening while still leaving you in the dark. Yeah. In a way that was yeah. engaging and entertaining and interesting rather than just like, well, what the fuck are you guys doing? I would agree. Um, I also think it's interesting that. You know, both of both of these movies so far are relatively grounded. Like the guest, the guest takes its little journey into spy-fi at like the end. Yeah. But you know, there's there's no real monsters running around mm-hmm. aside from the monsters inside us all. 
I'm writing that down as a potential episode title. <laughs> the monster, aside from the monsters inside us all. Or maybe just the monsters inside us all, but that, that doesn't fair. quite have the jokiness that our usual titles do, but aside the monsters that inside us all just sounds a little clunky. Anyway. Um, again, that sort of just ratcheting, they, they, they like, the winding up of tension and ratcheting up of tension, whatever verb you want to use, uh, and then the release when you find out, oh, it's sort of like a not Manchurian candidate, but it is sort of like almost brainwashing type of thing where it's like, oh, he's essentially a, a programmed killer. At the thing that yeah, it's like, on like it's on like that Jason Bourne level of yeah, uh, not quite realistic, but not like fully, you know, not all the way in the realm of sci-fi. Yeah. Um. And I think the thing, like, again, uh, so, so much props to Dan Stevens. I loved his, I loved his delivery throughout the entire movie, but specifically at the end when he's like, well, I, I, any, I, I've been programmed to kill anyone who uh, would like, uh, anyone that might compromise my identity. And so like, you've got the moments where like, after, he uh, kills that one girl in the restaurant. He sort of, as he's wa- or he, he like guns down a bunch of people or something. And as he's leaving, he's just got like this this look on his face. Is like, damn it! Now I got to do this. As he throws two grenades into the room, <laughs> just sort of like, ah, jeez. <laughs> These things don't grow on trees. <laughs> it's like it, it's a very. Uh, it's a very disturbing character when you really think about it, but it's sort of the way it's in no way the same character as Matt Nicholson's Hannibal, but it's got the same vibe of like, you are not a good person, but you are very engaging and entertaining to watch. (laughs) You're not a good person, but you're so watchable. And then they like like you were saying they they take a hard left turn into eighties horror thrillers with that scene at the end and the it's a dance at a gym with eighties music playing and like strobe lights and like that that was legit just Adam, Adam Wingard going okay we're going to recreate like every eighties uh, climax or whatever oh yeah, yeah. In, in a loving way. The color palette is really cool, too. Yeah! Yeah, the color palette is really cool. Like, the color palette is very saturated, mm-hmm. which I think uh, contributed to Steven's uh, dreamy blue <laughs> eyes. Piercing blue eyes. Before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, like, I couldn't... I couldn't get over it. Like, every scene he would walk into the room, I'm just like, wow, he has really blue eyes. <laughs> And he also might be a werewolf? Damn. <laughs> I have a type. I'll admit it. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. Anyway. I'm terrible. Anyway, what? Uh, let's talk some other topic. Um, what else with this movie? The pacing... I thought the pacing of it was really good. The, like, the, the pacing of, like... 
again, it's it, like with with these sorts of movies where it, it's clear that they're sort of doing a type of movie. It's like part of my brain is always just wondering, okay, when are we going to hit this story beat? When are we going to hit this story beat? And uh, it's interesting to think of from a directorial or writing perspective how you pace that sort of thing where you keep up the tension without it just with, without the audience losing their patience with you. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did that really well with the guest. Um, and, uh, in particular, they like, they, they did a fairly good job of like giving you an idea of the, the family itself and making them multidimensional characters. So that when the reveal happens at the end, you do feel something when he just starts yeah. killing people. No, this is very true. And it's it's also it, it's funny we brought up we brought up Ten Cloverfield Lane earlier because in a similar way, it, like that movie sets up John Goodman's character is like right off the bat you don't trust him, and then you're like, okay, he might be okay, and then by the end of the movie it's like. Well, if you haven't seen the movie, <laughs> yeah. spoilers for 20, Ten Cloverfield Lane. By the end of the movie, it's like, no, he's just he's just terrible. But actually, he was right apparently. <laughs> um, yeah. In a similar way, uh, David in the in the guest, it's sort of set up like he's very. He, it seems very very genuine at the very beginning. And, uh, like, in retrospect, I think he had every intention of leaving that house. And then, uh, because he stayed, and the more that he becomes... It it, it is this very... uh, Very interesting interesting thing of... uh, I don't know if dramatic irony, maybe cruel irony is the appropriate term. Or it's, it's the family's hospitality that ends up damning them in the end, essentially. The fact that they opened their home to him and wanted him to stick around, the longer he stays, the more danger they're actually in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything else in particular I want to talk about with this movie. They did have a nice little... Like, I think some horror movies don't really earn the or is it ending some of them like they've been done so many times now that it's it can be cheap but i felt like they they earned it with this movie uh because you have the moment where where david seems to die and then you do have a little bit of a oh wait a second <laughs> yeah yeah and also the character over the course of the film has earned that yeah where it's like, yeah, I absolutely buy that he, like, murked two firefighters and is, like, walking, or a firefighter, and is walking out, like, in his clothes. Mm. Uh, shall we move on to the Blair Witch? Uh, we certainly could. <laughs> so this is the most recent one. Came out last November? I forget. Uh... Did you just turn into an old one? No, I wish. Um, <laughs> uh, it says September sixteenth. Yeah, September sixteenth. Okay. <coughs> um. So long ago and far away, long ago in a distant land. So, had you seen? Uh, first of all, did you see the other two Blair Witch movies? 
Um, saw the first one. Uh, I probably saw the first one more recently. Hmm. Um, and I saw the second one. Oh God. I saw the second one before I saw the first one and I was probably, uh, how young was I? Look, oh, shadows. More, um, 2000. So, I think I saw the second one, maybe when I was in, like, eighth grade, on, like, sci-fi. Okay. Um, so I haven't rewatched it, but, uh, it was probably terrible. Yeah, um, I never I saw the second one, but I've heard it was terrible. I have fond memories of it from watching it at like one in the morning in eighth grade. Um, so I'm not planning on rewatching it. Uh, I don't, I don't want to impinge on those memories. So probably terrible. You know, not gonna, not gonna revisit that. Uh, this one I found enjoyable if a bit like mercenary. Hmm. What do you mean by mercenary? Uh, <laughs> just kind of like, um, I guess uh, Hollywood is kind of the ah, okay. the term I should have been using. Yeah, uh, I, I can but, understand uh, that. Well, mercenary in the sense that, like, um, I don't know if Wingard has talked at all about whether he, like, his feelings about the Blair Witch movies, um, or the original, I guess. Uh, I mean, he, he did the original VHS, um, not on his own. Um, yeah. he, he did the like connective tissue and then he did a segment in VHS too. Um, so he seems to at least have some fondness for found footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I haven't read any, any statements he may have made about the, the Blair Witch movies themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I will say is that, um, in the previous two movies, like the guests and your next, his style comes through much more strongly. Yeah. And it doesn't Blair Witch. Like Blair Witch seems to have gone through that like Hollywood filter. So it makes it feel, it makes it feel a little more like a director for higher job, even if it wasn't. Hmm. Well, and it's also, it's, it's because it's the found footage, it's, it's a very different form of storytelling. There, there's more limitations in terms of, well, we're trying to make this feel realistic. Yeah, he can't really do his bonkers, like, gothic sets. Yeah. Your next, or, like, the cool color correction of the guest. And he's, it, he's working with a different toolkit. Yeah. And it, it's a little more, there's a little more of an onus on the career to sort of obscure the, the act structure of a, of the movie to give it that feeling of, Oh, well we just found this footage in the woods and we pieced it together. Um, yeah. In that sense, like I do think that this one, that Blair, Witch, uh, there are definitely some moments where I was like, well, this is this, like if we're, if we're, um, if we're to indulge the idea that like, this is something that was pieced together from footage found in the woods. There are moments where I'm watching this. Well, clearly this part was put together by someone who studied filmmaking and boom, in like film school. <laughs> um, this doesn't feel very documentary to me. Uh, Although, I mean, to be fair, everyone who seems to be obsessed with the Blair Witch seems to be in film school. That's so true. It's entirely possible that whoever put this documentary together was themselves in film school. Yeah. Were themselves in film school. Um, 
One thing I, I do want to mention before we get too deep into Blair Witch is I, I haven't seen the second one because I heard it was terrible. <laughs> uh, I've seen the first one, but I watched it, I think it was on TV at some point, like on sci-fi or something, and so it was broken up by commercials, and I think that may have uh, affected my viewing of it. I... It didn't like the original Blair Witch Project didn't really do that much for me when I watched it. Uh, I think if I, I think part of it was also the fact that I had, been, I had watched it so so long after it was a thing, because I can imagine that, like it being the first like major found footage production and the the amount of uh, work that I read about them putting into like keeping it under wraps that it was like. Like they had actors, and it was it's a, it's a fictional story. They really tried to make it make audiences feel like okay, this is this real or is it not real? Um, and so there, there's so much of that world building and atmosphere. And uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not ambiance. Uh, culture surrounding the original movie when it first came out that it was probably a much more uh, engaging experience for people who weren't already in on the joke, so to speak. Well, yeah, the original movie, like, in the, in the, like, annals of pop culture history is so much more than just a movie. Yeah. Like, it's this whole thing, you know? Mm -hmm. it, it was like an event when the first one came out. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> and then after, you know, so many years of found footage movies. Yeah. Well, I think, like, in particular, I I don't know if... I've got the Wikipedia article open. Uh, but if I remember correctly, the original Blair Witch Project, like, they didn't have a script. It was, like, they, they had a structure for the movie, and they had scenes that they wanted to film and stuff in it they had an idea of how it was going to be structured, but the actors were actually like, uh, oh yeah, here it is on the Wikipedia article. The script began with a 35 page outline with the dialogue to be improvised. Um, and so it gives it a little bit of that authenticity, the original movie, whereas it, I don't know if that was the way that they, they did the sequel. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not positive. Yeah, and the, like this one was always going to live in the shadow of that that phenomenon. I think that was the word I was looking for before. <laughs> um, but that said, I, I I I did I did like this movie. I actually enjoyed it. I talked to a friend a few days ago <coughs> before I watched it, and he wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but I I ended up enjoying it by the end of it. I mean, I dig it. Uh, it didn't like change my world or anything. No, but but yeah, I'd watch it again. It's yeah, a, you know, it's a fine movie to just throw on. Um, um were you gonna say something? Yeah, I'm. I don't know if this is weirdly. Uh, I don't know why this struck me, but I do. I think it's actually very important to have those movies that it's like it's okay to just throw them on. Oh. You know, because it's like not every time you have friends over and you want to watch a movie, you don't want it to be like a fucking thing. You know, some sometimes you just want something that's there. It doesn't need to be like, 
you know, deep and transcendental experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Which I don't think this film, I don't think that's what it was trying to do. No. Um, it did, it like, like I said before, with, with this one, the first act and a half or so, it, there were moments where I felt like I was losing my patience a little bit. Like, there are certain things, like, Peter and his character at the beginning where it's just like, okay, you've decided that this character needs to be the dick. Um, and, uh, there wasn't too much of that, that whole, like, well, these, each of these people has to serve their role, thankfully, but when it, so when it did happen, it just made me that much more annoyed. Yeah. yeah. Like when, uh, they're about to walk into the, the actual Blair, uh, Blair Woods and uh, the guy's like, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's okay for us to be walking through here. No one cares. No one alive, anyway. Which is, like, if I was in that situation, in a realistic situation, I do think that would be kind of a weird thing to say. But, like, Peter just starts barking laughing, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> um. But anyway, that that's, a, like, a really weird thing to zero in on a nitpick. Um. When shit starts to go down, like, it starts off again where, like, because of the limitations of the found footage genre, there are certain things where I was like, okay, yeah, Peter's wandering around in the woods now, and he's not going to make it back to camp. There's no way he's getting out of this live. The, the first moment that really actually got me, so to speak, because it happened so quickly, and I thought, it, like, it was the moment where it's after it's after it's like eternally night because of course it's going to be eternally night mm-hmm. um Blaine and Talia made their way back like met back up with them and Blaine was just like no fuck this I'm getting out of here but Talia stays behind and then uh, they all try to go back to sleep they come out and there's all those fucking uh stick people things in the in the uh, in the trees, and uh, uh, Ashley comes out of her tent. She sees it, and she's just like, "Oh, it's this is all her fault." And at that same moment, Talia is looking at one of them, and she's like, "Wait a second, this is this is my hair, like wrapped up in the twine." And then Ashley runs over, grabs it, and just starts like frustratingly breaking it. And then she breaks it, and Talia breaks like it's a fucking voodoo doll. And it, that, it happened so quickly that I was like, whoa! Yeah, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. And I dig the Eternal Light thing. That was, when that happened, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, so they're in like a demi-plane. This is pretty cool. <laughs> I can't remember. That, that Did that happen in the original Blair Witch? Or was oh, God. I don't recall. Like I said, it's been yeah. it's been a while. Because I, I wasn't sure, but I like <clears throat> we, like when Blaine and Talia came back and they were like, "We've been out here five days. Well, we just left you the, the like just earlier today." That was when I was started like, "Okay, now now shits shits happening." <laughs> uh, I think the more the more weird shit started to happen, the more I was I, I got on board with it. Yeah. Specifically, once they get to the house, that's where the movie, like, I really started 
it actually, I felt like enjoying the movie. Yeah, because I think like, um, <clears throat> like it it has to get weird at some point because it really can't pull off like the slow burn of the original at this point. Yeah, and I was so worried that it was just going to be a rehash of the original. Um, but and so I think it was a smart decision for them to get to the house and for that to be basically the beginning of the third act rather than it just being like the tag at the end of the movie, yeah, which yeah. it was for the first movie. Um, but then there are other scenes that were just sort of pointless for me. It's like, oh, Ashley's wandering through the woods and she sees the drone up in the tree. We know how this scene is going to end. It's just how long it takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I did wonder if like because there was a little thing with her foot, which was a little that that had a little squick moment in the tent as Peter was looking at it. It's like, oh, something living in there. Uh, and I wondered if like they had more ideas for what would have happened with that, and then they were just like, we either don't have the budget or the time, and so we just got to kill her off with this drone in the tree thing. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I also really appreciated that, like, even though we did have that, like, a few moments with Peter where I'm just like, really, dude? Uh, and a few moments with Blaine and Talia where I was just like, really? We're doing this? Uh, I appreciated that, for the most part, I didn't hate James and Lisa. Like, Lisa had a few of her moments where it's like, oh, we, well, like, like, they touched enough on that, oh, are you just, you just want to get, like, a cool documentary plotline without it being uh, it going again grounding it rea- in reality there are a few of these found footage movies where like the whole rationalization of like okay why do they keep the cameras on becomes the the like the Achilles heel of the movie like the original paranormal activity it's like why clearly Filming is provoking the fear demon. Just stop filming. <laughs> but uh, friggin' what's his name is just like, no, we gotta, we gotta keep going. We gotta, we gotta record all this shit. Um, whereas with this, people have to know. People have to know. Oh man, <laughs> I enjoyed that movie, but I, I will, I will not uh, make any uh, illusions about it being an incredibly flawed movie. Um, but uh. But, like, with with this, number one, they had the ear cams, so feasibly you can be like, well, at some point they're just going to forget that they have them on, and they're not going to take the time to be like, oh, well, shit just got real, we should turn all this stuff off. It's like, there's no time for that. We've got, like, time There's no time changing. for that, man. <laughs> it's eternal night, there are trees falling everywhere, people getting ganked in the middle of the woods and pulled out of, out of shots and stuff. We got, we just got to find a way out of here. Um... Uh, I had a point that I was going towards. What was it? Oh yeah, James and Lisa. Like James is an EMT. That that was a great touch to add to his character. Although there were, there, I feel like there was at least one moment where I was like, "Dude, you're an EMT. Yeah, yeah. Why is this going on?" I can't remember what in particular it was in response. Probably in response to something going on with Ashley, because her whole thing. Again, I feel like they wanted to do more with whatever was going on with her, but they just didn't have the time for it. It might have... that Ultimately, the movie, if you want to say it was about any particular character, it was about James and Lisa, and so they might have decided, if we focus so much time on Ashley, it's just going to 
the movie's going to lose focus. But yeah, I, I, like, again, once they got into the, I, I just called it the witch house in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. Once they got into the witch house, number one, it, it's like totally my friggin' aesthetic when it comes to horror stuff. Run down uh, shack in the middle of the woods with like all the peeling paint and beat up walls and <laughs> side tangent that we may touch on at a future podcast. I just started uh, playing Resident Evil Seven, and that also was... I was I was literally just about to ask you that. Yeah, <laughs> I was like two seconds away. I was waiting for you to finish your statement. Yeah, we we, we might talk about that a little bit at the end of this episode. Um, side note: Do you ever listen to Witch House music? No. It's really dope. You should listen to uh, Salem's really good. Uh, I'll send you a playlist. Cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, and they, and once they got into the ha- that house, they really started to let, because I think that was part of my, my, uh, the thing that just didn't do it for me with the original Blair Witch Project is, yes, it was filmed in such a way that it felt very realistic for the most part. But not a whole lot of stuff actually happens in that movie. And so yeah. I was happy in this movie where it's like, no, we're fucking with time. This girl just got split in half because it was a freaking voodoo doll type thing. We're in the house and, like, like there's more time distortion and, like, the dude's getting trapped in the room and he sees weird visions and stuff. There's the weird lights outside. I like the fact that, uh, like, you... you you catch glimpses of the witch without it being, without them doing like a hero shot of look at this fucking cool monster we made. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe, I believe, uh, I believe that was Doug Jones as the witch. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, they, they definitely had some Slender Man vibes to that design, the really elongated limbs and everything. Mm-hmm. They, they sort of, it, they sort of made it a horizontal slender man, like a spidery type person. Um, and then uh, the conclusion of the movie, again, it felt like an actual conclusion, which again, I keep saying again. <laughs> I don't see any casting, so maybe it was digital. Uh, I feel like I remember seeing somewhere that he did something for it, but are you maybe did, like, mocap? Maybe. Or, I don't know. they still cast him? I don't know. Yeah. Are you looking at IMDb, or...? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I might be wrong about that. Or maybe, like, I follow Doug Jones on uh, Tumblr. Maybe he posted something. I don't know. Feels like the, if he was in it, then they would have put it in... Uh, maybe they yeah. just he just, like, wandered on set the one day. <laughs> During one of his like nightly walks through the woods, and they filmed him, but they didn't want to pay him, so they were just like, "No, it's um, it's digital. We we did it digitally." Or he was just like, "Wait, a creepy monster with weird proportions? I can do that. No, you don't even have to pay me. This is just this is a thing I do. I I love it." Yeah. Um. But I was pretty much satisfied with the conclusion of that movie in a way that I wasn't with the original Blair Witch. It did give it a little more structure than, again, I keep saying again, but it it potentially runs the risk of feeling less documentary, less realistic by having a sort of satisfying narrative conclusion, but Mm -hmm. also 
I appreciate a satisfying narrative conclusion. <laughs> Dude, the friggin' tunnel. I I have like <coughs> low level was... clock. I yeah, like, that was rough. Yeah, I have like low level claustrophobia and just that whole thing. I was just like, nope, nope, nope. There were a few moments where I I almost had to turn away because I was just like, oh jeez. And then she gets stuck, and I yeah. was just like, no. That was rough. <laughs> But there was that moment when they were still holding on that shot where I'm like, okay, she's going to get out of it. As long as she gets out of it, then I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll be okay. No, no, not, not she'll be okay. I'll be okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they wouldn't, like, they explored the entire house. They had some nice, they had, like, a, a nice character moment at the end with them sort of like trying to survive this this horrid situation uh and then James gets ganked and then there was the thing that crossed my mind in the last few moments of that movie when when like he he says the whole like uh just get in the corner I think I remember people criticizing the movie for giving an explanation for the whole stand in the corner thing, which I don't think was given in the original movie. There was no explanation for that in the original film. Yeah. And it, I did sort of feel, it did sort of feel a little silly in that, like, oh, well, of course this is going to work because narrative, narrative symmetry or whatever. Like, they planted that earlier, so it's got to be the right thing to do or something. Uh, and the fact that it is working is like, there's no reason that this should work, but supernatural fantasy logic, just go with it. Um, at the same time, there is like when, uh, when she starts using the camera to look behind her, number one, very cool cinema, very cool thing to do in terms of cinematography, just a very creative way to do that. Very creative way to to get around it, the whole, oh, well, I gotta get out of here without looking at her or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, in that moment, it felt like it, th- this movie, uh, it was placing itself within the history of, like, the horror canon and mythology. Two things were going on in my head. The whole idea of you, you can't look back and, like, mythology with like Lot's wife or Orpheus or uh we we've talked about it with Cleo I think on an earlier podcast the whole idea of not looking uh like Cupid's wife I believe Eros I think her name was or Psyche Eros yeah Eros is just the Roman name for Cupid I believe yeah that's uh, right. I might have that backward I think Eros is Greece but uh, yeah Greek, wh- whichever Greek. it is but it's it's Cupid and Psyche and the whole thing of, like you can never look upon me and then she does and he goes away uh, the crane wife by the uh, from Japanese folklore and popularized by the Decemberists is also that sort of thing of you if you look then everything goes to shit uh, and so uh, I liked it just personally. I like the whole idea of like this starts out. It's this very modern, this very modern contemporary thing with like the cameras and the documentary style filming and found footage and everything, forming a connection with this very old concept of like you can't look, and just this very old visceral thing. 
I'm still not sure how I feel about like the the last moment where she finally does look and she gets ganked. Because yeah. on on the one hand, it's there there are complications. There's the complication of well, this is basically just the same thing. Like on the one hand. It, you hear James's voice saying, I'm so sorry, and it's very clearly an echo of his line from before. Like, it's probably the same audio lifted or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I'm like, my first reaction was like, oh, that's kind of cool because it gives you an idea of what he must have been hearing. He must have been hearing his sister in a similar way uh, when he got ganked. But the complication that arises is, how did that get picked up on the camera in just sort of like a literal logical sense? Yeah. Um, and then in terms of narrative structure, it's like, well, we already saw this happen to James, so is there a purpose for it happening to Lisa as well? I don't know. I, I think it, I, it's so fresh in my mind. Like, I just watched it a few hours ago. I don't know if I'm able to really talk about it intelligently or come to an intelligent conclusion. About it. But it, it wasn't a deal breaker for me. I will, I, I'll say that. Hmm. In terms of my enjoyment of the movie. Also, another random thing. For most of this movie, I thought that the actress playing Talia was Adelaide Clemens, who played Heather in Silent Hill Revelations. And then I was kind of disappointed when it got to the end and it wasn't her, because I was like, oh, it's good to see she's still getting work after that horrible, horrible... Oh, wait, no, it wasn't her. (laughs) Although I do think she's still getting work. I just haven't seen stuff with her recently. Oh, she was on Rectify. I haven't watched any of that, but... uh, I watched the first episode of that, I think. I saw the pilot. Yeah, Um, it looks like she's getting work. Yeah. Because I like her as an actress. She just, she was honestly the best thing about Silent Hill Revelation 3D, I think. Anyway, we're not talking about that movie right now. And we're not even talking about Adelaide Clemens. We're talking about a different actress entirely. What did you think of just sort of like this cast of characters in this movie? I don't know. I mean, I I feel like they're, in a lot of ways, they they kind of fall into these archetypical roles. Mm -hmm. But I feel like... Uh, they, they fall into these sort of archetypical roles that you see in a lot of these kind of movies. Like, you know, somebody looking for their lost relative and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I feel like that's a very popular horror hook. Mm-hmm. Um, especially recently. I feel like we've seen a lot oh, of Oh, yeah. There's a Natalie Dormer movie that I thought about, like, once during this movie. <laughs> that I thought about once. Uh, <laughs> and then never again. And you never need to again. It's fun. <laughs> Uh, as much as I love Natalie Dormer, that was a misfire. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like they, they had at least enough of an emotional complication to be, you know, compelling to watch. Yeah. It wasn't like I was watching, you know, a bunch of cardboard cutouts get murdered. Like, the actors all held their own. and the, Their characters were at least um, <coughs> refined enough sketches that... Uh, you know, there was something compelling about watching them butt off of one another. Yeah. And there weren't a whole ton of just like, why the fuck are you doing that moments? Yeah. There were a few. Those are the worst. But, uh, 
but yeah, for the most part, it wasn't like, oh, we're we're gonna like, I, I don't know, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, although again, Peter walking off into the woods on his own to get firewood and stuff, it's just like, really, dude, really. <laughs> And I wonder how much of that judgment comes from the whole, like, people in the Blair Witch movie don't realize they're in the Blair Witch movie. Mm-hmm. But you're searching for the fucking Blair Witch. <laughs> even if there's yeah, nothing... Yeah, it's like, you should, you should know. Yeah. It's like, even if you're just wandering out into the middle of the woods, you've never been to these woods before, take a buddy. If there's one thing I took from Boy Scout camp for the short time I was in Boy Scouts, it's take a buddy with you. Jeez. <laughs> Fr- again, James, the freaking EMT. <laughs> uh, someone should know better. Okay, his name was Lane. Okay. I thought his name was Lane, and then this whole episode I've been saying Blaine, because that's one point in the movie I was like, oh, no, wait, his name must be Blaine, because that's a real name. <laughs> <laughs> But no, according to Wikipedia, his name was actually Lane. That was one of those moments where I was like, really? The the whole, like, oh, well, we set up these things so that you guys... Because clearly there's something going on here, and we want you to stick around and and film stuff. Because they, they, there's really something going on with the Blair Witch. And it's like, really, guys? There's <laughs> a moment, just that weirdest fuck moment, which I I know was supposed to be like a joke, uh, like it's just sort of like an amusing thing for the audience, but it just feels because it's like not touched on again, and it just feels so out of place. I was like, it just felt really out of place to me. They walk into Lane and Talia's place, and there's the Confederate flag on the wall, and they have the moment where like they pan from the Confederate flag to Peter. Who people who haven't watched this movie, Peter is black, and then they pan back to the to the flag, and Peter's just got this look on his face, like really. <laughs> it's, I just it, it like it, the thing about it is like you could have just as easily done without that. I know you want us to like not trust Lane and Talia right off the bat, but that just feels like a little gratuitous. Yeah. Yeah, that, that does kind of put too fine a point on it. Where it's like, oh, yeah, okay, we get it. Oh, I did. Like, one of the moments, uh, again, I, that I... I don't want to say it was clever, although maybe the only reason I want to don't want to say that is because I don't want to feel like I was too amazed by it. Like, oh, look at Ian, he's so naive and innocent or whatever. But, uh... As Lisa's running up the stairs and there's that one shot where it's clearly the shot from the video that they watched at the beginning of the movie that James thought was Heather. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Especially with all the time distortion stuff going on. Yeah, as far as found footage movies go, I, I ended up really enjoying Blair Witch. It did also remind me, though, actually of a... I don't think I ever brought this up on the podcast. I, I know I brought up going to Scaracon several years ago on the podcast, but I 
had forgotten until like this morning I woke up and I was like, okay, today I got to watch Blair Witch. And it reminded me that when I went to uh, Scarecon a few years ago, one of the panels that I went to was actually uh, a few uh, a few people talking about the found footage genre. And uh-huh. it, like the first 15 minutes of it was just sort of them talking about, I think a few of them were filmmakers and talking about like the philosophy of it, like the, the different movies that have done it really well or really bad, poorly. Um, and, uh, I, I, they, like the rest of the panel was mostly like questions from the audience and discussion and stuff. And I actually ended up sort of uh, through uh, raising my hand for a question, uh, getting into a discussion with one of the guys on the panel about uh, found footage and like I, I brought up like Marble Hornets because I just started watching that I think and like he was aware of it so it was cool that we were able to talk about that in a setting where it's not completely weird uh, but the question that I asked was uh, with the with the limitations of the found footage genre uh I don't know if I articulated it exactly this way, but I think my question was, with the limitations of the found footage genre, do you think there's the possibility that uh, of having a movie in the found footage genre that is sort of like that genre's Silence of the Lambs, for example? And it, the way that he interpreted the question, I think, like, he was talking, like, as he started talking about it, he was talking about more in the sense of, like, oh, a movie that gets a bunch of awards for how good it is. But I I think it, when I asked it, I was coming at it more from a perspective of, like, because of the way that a found footage movie is shot and the whole pretense of it being, like, oh, well, this is supposed to feel very realistic is there the possibility to have the emotional depth and narrative set, like narrative uh, craft in a found footage movie that you can have in another horror movie like Silence of the Lambs? Yeah, that is interesting. I don't know if I have an answer for that. I think that there's a part of me that's like, well, anything's possible, but I do wonder what's what do you need to do to be able to create a satisfying story while still having that sort of uh, this the sort of uh, structuralist feel or like lack of not lack of structure but or not deconstruction but the sort of random feel of real life I don't know. I think it's an interesting question to ponder, but again, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, did you want to touch on his VHS stuff? Because I, I watched the first VHS with you, but I don't think I've seen the second VHS, actually. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not sure I have anything salient to say about VHS that we haven't kind of covered in Blair Witch. Okay. Do we want to touch on Resident Evil 7 real quick? <laughs> uh, I think we should reserve that for its own thing. Okay. I, I haven't played it, so... Yeah, all I'll say is I I have a friend who has it, and he has PSVR. Uh, and uh, so uh, I don't know when the next time I'm going to be able to go over to his house and play it. I feel like I'm freaking 10 years old. I'm going to go over to my friend's house to play video games. But it's like, dude, video games 
fucking expensive. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Thankfully, I also cannot even conceive of how pants-shittingly terrifying. Dude, VR is a trip. VR must be. It, it, I will say that, like, while I don't get motion sickness, I do have to take breaks from it. Uh, mostly just because, like, the amount of pressure the the actual headset puts on the bridge of my nose can get really uh, uncomfortable. Um, but uh, I played like the first couple hours of Resident Evil Seven, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Like, it's it's a sort of thing where it's clearly indebted to a lot of other horror survival games like the like the story right off the bat it's like they they lifted uh, like the surface details from Silent Hill 2 it's like mm. oh you're got wait is the main character named James no i think it's daniel daniel and mia i think or let me i can just pull it up real quick you have to um Ethan, that's his name. I was completely wrong. But, uh, yeah, so the opening of the game is, like, literally from the very opening. The opening is Ethan, you're Ethan, watching a video of your wife when she's happy. And that's exactly how Silent Hill 2 starts off. It's James filming at his, filming Mary, and she's talking about, like, oh, it's so great here in Silent Hill. We were having our, va- like, honeymoon or vacation or something. I think it must be vacation. Um, but the th- it's, it's, And then, like, the, the fact that it's been three years since you last saw your wife, and you get an email from her saying, hey, come find me, which, again, it is essentially Silent Hill 2 with the barcode scraped off. Yeah, uh, but uh, <coughs> this that I'm trying to figure out a way to articulate myself and where where I'm not just rambling the entire plot line because this has already gone on longer than intended. <laughs> but like I said, I, it, it is clearly indebted to a, a lot of other horror video games and horror movies. <laughs> Uh, but in such a way where it's like, okay, it's taking the things that we learned how to do from those things and using it for its own concept. It has its own idea at the center of it uh, that it's using like these different, these different things of, uh, like found footage stuff, um, the, uh, the sort of realistic environment and first-person closeness of PT, uh, the sort of wandering, uh, scary stuff that could get you at any moment of amnesia, the dark descent, uh, and then it's got, like, the classic Resident Evil stuff of, hey, there's the T-virus and infection. <laughs> um... Well, I think a lot of people in the reviews were, um, as far as, like, the, the monsters, uh, the, the implacable ones, not the, uh, not the ones you can kill, mm-hmm. uh, they were name-checking Nemesis from Resident Evil 3. Ah. Um, more specifically, because, like, Amnesia, you can't kill those monsters, but there's a ton of monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
Resident Evil 7 monsters are more like, okay, each of these creatures, they're people, you know, each of the members of the family is like a distinct person with like a personality. Mm-hmm. So there's like a difference between the monsters that you can kill and the family, which like regenerates, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And Spoilers. <laughs> well, they actually, like, in one of the, like, trailers or clips they released early on, you sort of get the sense that, oh, this family has some sort of, if not regenerative properties, they are not entirely living. Uh, and because it's a Resident Evil game, you can make, you can put two and two together. It's like, okay, there's something going on with them having like zombie blood or something. Uh, I, I haven't gotten that deep into the game, so I, I haven't figured all the mysteries out. I don't know how much of that we're going to learn. And I don't know uh, how deep the story is actually going to get. At the moment, it feels sort of surface level to me. But uh, mm-hmm. I am really enjoying it. And I, I wouldn't expect it to have necessarily the depth of like a Silent Hill or anything like that. And not as a criticism, but it's just a different style of story that they tell in those games. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. And that was my far too long, quick... Uh, review of Resident Evil 7 the first couple hours. <laughs> Thus far. Yeah, and just VR is a trip. It's so cool. <coughs> I believe it, man. It uh, definitely makes everything up close and personal. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to die. So do I okay. This stuff? <laughs> yeah, I apologize. That's <laughs> fine. Alright. Uh, so... Thank you for listening. If anyone's listening to this after what three or four month break, sorry. We just got another that. view the other day, so people are still checking the Facebook page. Hi. Oh, hey. Um. But yeah, we'll we're gonna try and get back to the uh, monthly updates. So uh, I'm sure we'll have an episode next month. There's actually a lot I feel like that's happened happening this year in horror, like from Twin Peaks to. Uh, Resident Evil 7. Maybe we'll talk about Resident Evil in a future episode. But yeah, there's always stuff to talk about, so we'll be back next month. And uh, if you made it this far, thanks for listening. Uh, You can get in contact with us with our uh, contact info that you hear once the music starts. Uh, Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at amatteroftastepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AOMOTpodcast. Find full episode posts at amatteroftastepodcast.blogspot.com. And follow us as A Matter of Taste Podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. As Fio mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I released an album back in November, and while it's not specifically horror-related, there's at least one song on it that I think listeners of this podcast might enjoy. That song is called Trespasser, and it's actually been featured by the tabletop Twitch stream True Neutral Productions in their survival horror-themed game Coagulate, so I thought I'd drop it here at the end of the episode to give you guys a taste of some of the stuff I've been working on. I also think it ties in a little bit with uh, Blair Witch stuff, at least. 
If you like the song, please consider checking out the rest of the album, Stepping Stones, at iandoherty.bandcamp.com. That's I-A-N-D-O-H-E-R-T-Y dot bandcamp.com. There'll be a link in the blog post. Thanks, and I hope you all enjoy Trespasser.
Bliarwich. Blear. Blah. This is the Blearwich. <laughs> That's gonna be an outtake. <laughs>